Hello, my name is Patricia Rozvora and you're listening to Kitchen Conversations. This podcast aims to open up the mysterious and vague Eastern Bloc to a broader audience. For each episode, I'm inviting one artist or researcher and together we explore their relation, interest and urgency to create within the framework of the post-Soviet sphere. Here I also wanted to thank everyone for listening and supporting this podcast. It's very rewarding to see that with every episode the community is growing, which was of course the whole point of this platform. If you are a regular listener, you might want to check out my Patreon page, where you can support my work and help me develop this amazing but time-consuming project. You can do that on patreon.com slash kitchenconversations. Welcome back, everyone. First of all, I wanted to say thank you for all the positive uh, messages I received about my mini-series Grandma's Tales. I will definitely try to implement some of those um, first-person narrations in the future. However, uh, today uh, we continue with our original format where I speak to artists about their practice in relation uh, to the sphere of Eastern Europe or the New East. And for this Kitchen Conversations, I had the pleasure to speak to a good friend, a visual artist, public speaker and activist, Tasha Arlova. Tasha uh, is originally from Vitebsk, Belarus, uh, but currently living and working in the Netherlands. In uh, July 2021, she graduated from the Gerrit Rietveld Academy in Amsterdam, from the photography department with a thesis titled Dried Blueberries in My Pocket and a short film Dear Revolution. The last year was for Tasha not only the graduation year but also the time where the revolution began, where the people of Belarus started fighting uh, against a totalitarian leader and his regime. Apart from working on her film and the thesis, Tasha took part in various lectures, screenings, conversations, as well as organized exhibitions about the people of Belarus, their strength, unity and different ways of resistance. Without further ado, please welcome Tasha Orlova. Welcome, Tasha, to Kitchen Conversation. Thank you. It's the second time already. Uh, the first time uh, you took part in my graduation uh, in a yeah, right. group talk. And today we're going to speak about uh, you and your work and all the things you were doing in the past year because it was quite intense and busy for you. So I'm happy that uh, you still have the energy to, to share a bit here with us. Yeah, thank you. I'm really yeah happy to take part because I'm, I'm following your podcast and it's nice to be part of it. Yeah, and also um, how it actually came to be, the podcast and my work is very much connected to how we together started uh, working together in a reading group, which now has the name Second Thoughts. It started as a reading group that you and Yulia uh, Elias created and I joined and then it became bit of a support group, I guess. That's how you were also referring to it. 
where we were sharing our works and our experiences being in art school in Amsterdam and kind of hearing more Eastern European voices. Yeah, yeah. And also, I think, artist community. Yeah. So that's, I think, even more special to, to have you here and to speak about your work and how you developed. So recently you graduated from the Rietveld Academy. Yeah, I feel like an adult. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, Finally. now the real life starts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> funny. And uh, you graduated uh, from uh, the photography department, same as me. Mm-hmm. I'm very proud of you and your work. I think you created something really special. The, your thesis, but also your short film, speak about the revolution in Belarus, but also more how, how you experience it. Uh, being in Amsterdam and I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast and are on this podcast can relate to because I think a lot of us mostly live and create rather in in the west and look and think through eastern territories so I would like to start speaking about uh, your short film Dear Revolution and I guess since I was a bit following the process of your work and I know that uh, this whole year was quite a turbulent one for you, I'm curious a little bit about the process and how you decided to actually in the end create it the way it is now. Yeah, it's, 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 it was a long story about this film, I think. And now it's like looking back, it's nice that people can relate um, to the film from different countries. And I... Also, I spoke to um, Syrian filmmaker, and he could relate in some moments. And um, I had visitors during exhibition from different countries, from Ukraine, from Poland. A lot of people could relate to a story, like experience something from abroad in your home country, which you kind of want to join and you're excited. In the same time, you cannot share with your surrounding, or you're sort of so excited, like I was, about... Belarus and upcoming change and it's difficult like living in the Netherlands you know people were not excited about it or they didn't know about it so it's created this kind of um, double life I think so one is basically following events in Belarus and another one is keeping up with your life in like in Amsterdam <clears throat> so initially I was long t- I think it's difficult to work on, on some emotional topics like this so it took me a long time, like almost a year, to come up with a film. Initially, I came to Belarus, uh, sort of, I, f- I felt this urgency to to record something, to, to make a film about what's happening. Um, and I considered myself, like, brave and, like, you know, <laughs> almost like a revolutionary. And when I came to Belarus, I, I was actually so uh, scared, like, to film in the street. It was already felt unsafe for a, for a reason, I think... Um, like this year, especially uh, journalists and people with cam- cameras were targeted. So I basically just recorded kitchen conversations uh, at home uh, before election in Belarus, which happened 9th of August 2020. So initially I recorded all these days. It was it was very sort of, how to say, um, yeah, it was a film about talks more than about action. And for me, it was very difficult to work with this material because when I came back to the Netherlands and show some materials to my teachers, they were sort of not impressed because, yeah, it was something important to me, but for them, they couldn't, you know, guess the context. They didn't know. And, and overall, like, the whole situation, 
around um, kind of determined um, how I work. So I realize that people are not aware of what's happened in Belarus. Mostly news in the Netherlands were about another beatings, another suppression. But it also for me, it was, you know, both. It was a fear for repressions, but it also was a big proud of people who united, who stood together, who went to the street. For the first time, you know, opposition in Belarus were not just like a minority or marginalized part, but it was a massive, you know, massive. Um, so for my my idea was to bring this awareness and also some kind of dignity and, and prouds of people. So for a while, I actually put away materials from my film. I was busy with making an exhibition of protest art, of uh, making a lecture about how people united and how through social media they are protests in different formats. For a while, this kind of film was put on hold and I was struggling. So my teachers were like really negative about it. It's too documentary. Uh, they couldn't find enough, yeah, enough material to work with. And um, it was, was very difficult. I thought, oh, like I was angry at them and said, they don't understand, they don't care. So I had to actually work with Belarusian filmmaker, meanwhile. Maxim Shvet, uh, who consulted me about the film, and he's like a, a director. He also told me, but you don't have a protagonist in this film, and it's uh, maybe not strong enough. So it was like very painful to recognize that maybe this film or these materials are not strong enough to become a film. I guess it's also maybe because you started filming also from the urge to to understand what's happening and kind of you wanted to document the whole thing which yeah. is going on and you didn't intend to, okay, now I'm going to make a film for my graduation work. This is going to be my artwork, right? It, I think it came kind of as part of the everyday experiences you had and maybe that was the... Yeah, yeah, and I believe this uh, conversation has still have important place in my heart and it's important for us, for people who participated. I think it's, it was important. It doesn't matter if it makes a film or not. It's important to preserve it. Uh, with the time, I think importance will be even greater. But just I have to know how to work with it. And we talk a lot about yeah, our expectation, our fears of the past uh, politics. So it's sort of, for me, it was important to capture this moment, to, to be there and to grasp it. And of course, I didn't know, you know, like with the time now, significance of this materials for me personally, it goes higher. The good thing about, I think, being an artist, you can just by your decision to decide it's important enough to work with it. Like, it doesn't matter of teachers, of some kind of, I don't know, anyone, institutions, that maybe not interesting, but I know it's important for people who were part of it, who remember it, it's, it's important for us. Now, actually, my uh, my character or like my my friends whom I recorded, they're finally safe and outside of the country. So because for me it was even impossible to publish anything because while they were still in the country, mm, it could affect their safety and just be a reason to of their detention. Mm. So it's also actually for me it was easier later to work just on the film *The Revolution* without involvement anyone from Belarus and also talking about my own experience where I have the full feel legitimate to talk about my own experience without political correctness without afraid like how not to hurt people feeling because it was just 
a bit exposing my own feelings, yeah, which belongs to me, because it's very difficult to work on political teams when people are involved and uh, their safety is under concern. And also, it's, it's, it's just big responsibility, I think. Yeah, for sure. And I think your decision to to exactly kind of show almost the opposite, you know, like an empty apartment without people, just animals, just two mm-hmm. cats and uh, only your narration. I think it really worked well and it definitely showed this kind of loneliness and yeah, what, what you're talking about, that you really created an image, very personal image of the revolution but I guess for everyone individually, it was like this, you know, like it was a very personal thing for every person who took part in the revolution. Yeah, I just want to say, that I think it was um, I, I like I, I was joking, actually, that like I'm so tired of politics at some point. So I was like, I, I want to make film about cats <laughs> and, you know, some, somehow cats appeared in the film. I think it's sort of a bit looking because at that point, it was very boiling emotions, and to me, I didn't see landscape around. I just was busy with my ideas, uh, checking news, etc. So, when you know somebody was at the exhibition, they told that my film was a bit depressed. If I was surprised because it was like um, unusual feedback for me, because for me it was still like uh, I, I saw a light in this film, but at the same time, I realized. It's like through the time in future, uh, looking at revolution through the time. And uh, it's even painful to make this film such calm because you know how much emotions were inside, how much hopes and this kind of rains and time cover it, you know. And this time it's maybe a bit sad, especially knowing what's happened. And of course, revolution is not forgotten, but um, it's sort of suppressed and, and and our hopes, they're, like, they're not burnt yet, but they're undercover of, of repressions, of what, everything what happened. Hmm. In the film, as well as your, in your thesis, you speak about this anger that's like when, when coming back from such a um, yeah, politically and socially charged situation, uh, you come here uh, back to, to Amsterdam and the life is like nothing ever happened. People are happy, children are playing, everyone is like um, sitting in the sun, smiling. And I, I, yeah, there was a lot of anger, right? With, I, th- I think it's yeah. something very natural to be like, come on, like the world is uh, collapsing. Why are you so happy? And then like the film, on the other hand, really felt very calm to me. And almost mm-hmm. like a medita- meditation for yourself or like a healing moment that you kind of retreat to your home and really think about it. And yeah, it's somehow, yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed how how you juxtapose it to this anger and to, yeah, to this very, very emotional time you and so many other people had, right? And still have, there is still so much horrible things going on, which we here in the West hear only from time to time. But I think there is so much more going on. Yeah, I think it's it's like uh, anger and disappointment also because I felt like I felt a bit cheated. Like I, you know, with education and art institution in the Netherlands, uh, in the beginning I felt like like I opened for myself the whole world of new thoughts. So sort of belief in human rights of, of, you know, like, and this, like, all this concern which were expressed by the Western countries were felt like a joke. Like, you know, it's, it's felt, 
I felt frustration and anger how actually word is fu- functioning and it's maybe part of growing up actually <laughs> yeah stopping to believe in some savior or somebody who can save your country from from this I don't know dead end it's yeah it's difficult to perceive this feeling because we felt like now it's a historical moment for Belarus and the whole world is watching and people would be really aware and concerned and and engaged but yeah it was not the case I mean of course some people were but not so much and you probably cannot expect it from other people but this liberal ideas was sort of like you know brought into my mind uh, actually in the west so I expected different reaction and different engagement and different awareness so and that something was yeah almost nobody to share these feelings but I think this calmness comes only with the time, with sort of acceptance of reality, um, yeah. not right away. <laughs> no, I can imagine that it's a hard work and process, in the, definitely. And you also became a sort of spokesperson for for the situation in Belarus, uh, since almost immediately you were involved in organizing some exhibitions, you were showing protest art in uh, yeah, a couple of places in Amsterdam and I think also in Utrecht, right? Yeah. And uh, you also took part I- in various uh, lectures, uh, conversations, speeches. Yeah, how did it feel for you like to kind of perform this labor? And first of all, especially at the beginning, we just heard like the big news, right? But not really understanding where does it come from because there's such a lack of historical information, I think, historical knowledge. So how did it feel for you to suddenly become the person to call and be like, okay, we are organizing this about Belarus. Do you want to speak? Do you want to speak? You became really like busy at some point, right? Yeah, but I mean, it was not initially the case. First, I tried to reach media and nobody responded to me. So in the beginning, I sent some information, you know, I'm going to Belarus, do you want someone to... Yeah, do you want... People didn't want uh, information, but in the same time, it was it was just too important, it was too much excitement for me. I wanted to share it, I wanted people to know. It was something very positive, uh, or not like very positive, but something I wanted to share what I'm proud of, which I was following, and I thought, like, I felt a responsibility almost. So it was my initiative to organize, like in, initially this lecture, and you know then opportun- opportunities came, and the same with the exhibition, first exhibition, um, Belarus Art of Resistance. We kind of, I thought like some artists, for example, Lena Davidovich, she, like from also Belarusian artist in the Netherlands, she also felt the same, and like I didn't feel that. Um, direct like demonstrations uh you know in the netherlands from belarusian diaspora that i mean they were important for people but also i didn't feel it can create a dialogue or like in-depth discussion with the dutch or international audience so for me it was like a platform to speak and i just used the opportunity because i felt like people were aware what's happening and there was some kind of it was just like a new window of opportunities like i couldn't imagine you know making a Exhibition in the center of Amsterdam about, I don't know, some Minsk neighborhood which was active during protest. And it was really exciting also to bring this artist. I, I even, I wanted to do it before, you know, before the protest. I wanted to show a bit more diverse look uh, on Belarusian art, uh, on, on Belarus overall. So there was just a, like 
kind of it came together and so we show this protest art and then of course you learn how media fu is functioning and they don't have so much maybe access it's initially it's, it used to be that mostly dutch journalists would cover events about belarus and not even often you know inviting belarusian to speak about so i thought it also was important for diaspora for their own sense of i don't know of identity to to have some examples of people who speak up who present themselves as strong who shows this side of situation which is about yeah not being just victims but actually actively fighting so i thought it was important also for belarusian diaspora to have someone who speaks and uh, also i mean i was not the only one of course and uh, slowly you know we started to build up like a network of people who are working the team of belarus and it's become easier and i got some recommendation to speak at certain events etc our good friend uh, <laughs> ellie if you can say so that journalist who for example um franca who works with the topic of belarus for 20 years and uh, she knows people from belarus she can advise whom to invite and how because in, overall it's difficult you know in the netherlands to bring belarus into attention unless it's somehow related to the netherlands so it become a way also if you know some events are happening in the netherlands it's more related to the country so they're more willing to to make a story about it in media so i'm curious how this whole year and this process of working uh, on this film on your thesis but also on organizing all those events exhibitions taking part in the conversations how it changed you as an artist and also how it changed your yeah your position of being an artist living in amsterdam a belarusian artist living in amsterdam yeah it it was a lot of experience like this year i w i can't imagine what would i do without this experience because like through the year we organized a number of exhibitions uh, talks so it gave me experience and more confidence that i'm actually able to organize and things together with other artists and it's yeah i don't know it just gave me more confidence in my own strengths yeah in the same time I mean it's 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 difficult like this whole situation of course is uh, from time to time I'm having burnout just from from negative news from the situation and I have to be aware of the situation so it's it's difficult uh sometimes I want just to close down and sort of you know just live normal life but uh, yeah I'm happy like I'm happy to be outside you know in in the world for me that's why maybe it's cool doesn't make so much sense just to make things inside because probably like with your podcast you share it with the world you want people to participate you want to for me the same like for me it's important that i'm not making art to put it in the gallery but i also bring it some kind of start of conversation or talk and so probably it's become a part of my practice in uh, again speaking about your thesis because i just read it and i really liked it speak about um, conversation uh, with uh, one of our teachers <laughs> maybe i'm not gonna tell her name but you were speaking about just at the beginning of your studies i think at, in the photography department about the western gaze and how everything you saw about eastern europe was really like very specifically stereotypically charged 
and you were trying to break this Western gaze and you went to Belarus and tried to see it with your own gaze, but then you were still kind of, because of living so long away, you couldn't break away from this exotization, I guess, and this, as we call it, Western gaze to, to Eastern Uh, Europe. So I'm curious, yeah, how that changed, and maybe how you understand your position as an artist now. Do you create more as a Belarusian artist in the Netherlands? Yeah, I believe that, like you know, the whole story with exhibition, with last exhibition, for example, um, we did in The Hague uh, when we brought around 30 artists originally from Belarus, but living around the world. Yeah, it's always about different representation. I was not main curator of the show, but still I also brought a film program. And for me, it was, yeah, more than, than just like last dictatorship of Europe. It was different kind of stories. So that was my response. Or, for example, when we did a film program, I brought together two films from Belarus and Syria about graffiti and protest graffiti. For me, it was again a new content, um, yeah, new kind of new way of looking or putting things together. So it's my response. I still see, uh, I understand there is a kind of request for this kind of images which are depressive and gloomy and show some kind of aesthetic. And okay, they exist and they, you know they are um, attractive to people in the West in many cases. And I'm doing something else. I cannot focus anymore on this aesthetic. And probably with the next project, I won't work with a team of Belarus anymore. I will work with something else. It's too narrow, I believe. But there is, like, I'm trying to influence it in the way possible. Like recently, an, um, one writer was asking me about cover for her book. It was about Russia, and then I suggested a bit more positive image, less stereotypical. And of course, uh, editors wanted to have this kind of gloomy picture from 90s. But I, I insisted that, like, if you ask my opinion, let's do something different. So in my own way, I try to resist it. But I understand why people are doing it. It's also for photographers or makers who are working for Western editors, That's the image they want to see. And it's some kind of market existing for this kind of image. But I think with a, with a new narrative, with a bit of more complex pictures, like for example, in films, etc., we're just making this different representation, which is maybe less popular, <laughs> but I know, I know the, how to say, the significance of it. I know that for me it's important to have this uh, different story. And at the same time, like this teacher you mentioned, like she's a big Ellie now in, in my work also. <laughs> so yeah, it's, uh, it's nice to have this conversation, but I don't want to fight anymore about it. Like I just know it's wrong to have, it's, it's narrow-minded sort of look. Uh, I understand the reason behind it. And uh, it's, you know, it, it exists. But what we can do, we can create something else. And as a, especially people from, yeah, living abroad, you, you can have more tools to influence how 
what will be the visual language used or what images will appear. Mm. It's more difficult for people for like for example like Belarusians maybe before they used to work for western media and I don't not aware anymore if you know m- most journalists left Belarus now uh, or in, yeah in different conditions but overall abroad I think it's we have more impact in a way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh recently uh I think maybe two weeks ago uh you organized a very big and I think powerful exhibition uh Screams of the Silenced and you also showed your work there you were co-curating but uh, you also organized uh, a film program which I think you were very excited about so maybe you would like to share a little bit about the film program and um yeah how it kind of played into the whole show the main uh curator was uh Evelina Domnic also artist from Belarus uh living for a long time abroad i think it was good that we organized something exactly a year after elections because uh it was another let's say media event so it attracted more media and had some reason to talk again about Belarus and it also was a possibility to bring yeah i think it was extraordinary moment i think it probably was first and the biggest exhibition of contemporary belarusian artists i don't know in the hay commentary about the netherlands it, it took me quite some time to realize that because this feeling of being sort of in a bubble was not also very nice like to work from and I, the more i learned about you know other people's stories the more i understood that we have something to share and i would speak to somebody from india and we could share some something in common then i talk with somebody from egypt you know and there is a similar story of dictatorship with different stories of course and then um it it was like long time ago i learned about um this filmmaker uh yat aljarot and his film lovers notebook and it was about graffiti in his hometown uh sarakep in syria yeah i just heard about this filmmaker but i didn't know where is he is he still in syria somewhere and it's turned to be that he's in the netherlands and it was oh, almost wow. like a dream to make some day um a show or exhibition or somewhere where i can bring different authors together and i already for a long time also knew about film of maxim shvet in belarus who made a film about graffiti removal in belarus so it was for me interesting to bring them together and I actually introduced to each other i slowly get to know yat and i kept contact with maxim and so we we put these two films in a film program in different days and for me it was important so we could speak about different countries i mean completely different context but some things we could relate to each other because i believe it's you know it's enough divided world so we have to find something in common also in belarus the problem of xenophobia is also strong now and if you see with crisis with immigrants on the border between poland and lithuania so yeah. people sometimes don't relate uh, cruel regimes in different countries with the situation with refugees and asylum seekers it's strange you know so i thought for me it was a both reasons to bring film of yad also to find a way to relate to each other like two different countries two different stories yeah and find uh, 
yeah, a bit more, you know, humanity and understanding and speaking. It was amazing. We had so long discussions after the film of Iyad, also with other Belarusians and international and Syrians who came to the screening. So it was some kind of support. So it, it, it shows that we can support each other and understand each other. Of course, not, you know, completely, but yeah. Can you tell a little bit uh, what the film was about? Uh, so Lover's Notebook, it's a film yet um, covered first three years of Syrian revolution. And uh, he captures the situation through graffiti. And you can see how people, you know, at first, of course, it was not possible to use graffiti before revolution in the regime. But, you know, slowly people started to express on the walls what they think. And you also see it, you know, you don't see so much violence. Uh, you don't see like more like traditional narrative or stories which are shown about Syria, but it's about self-expression and how people write poetry or paint on the walls to express what they think. And you also see, for example, appearance of ISIS also through the walls. So it's different agendas and, you know, graffiti being removed and painted over. It's a beautiful story, how people express themselves through the writing. And it's also very much related to somehow film Maxim Shvet, where he tells a story about graffiti removal in Belarus, where city workers remove graffiti or, or writings uh, and paint over like beautiful rectangles of different colors. Yeah, it also speaks about people's self-expression and, and like removal of it. Maxim Shvet uh, film was done, uh, was made in 2017. And back then he told it was very difficult to find uh, political slogans on the walls. And right now, probably walls in the night is the only tool for people to express their opinions. So nowadays, the walls are a bit of like a war zone. So somebody come in, writing, somebody is painting over, then other people add some writing to it. It's a very related story in a way, how people express themselves. And it's so urgent, you know, if you see the writing, it's almost like written with the blood by the richness of emotions, you know, by the by the words they use on the wall. Mm. And it's been a year since uh, the forged elections and since the movement or like the revolution started. Um, I'm curious if you, if you could tell how hopeful are you? What is actually, what's your kind of idea for what's in the future for Belarus? Yeah, it's, I don't think anybody can predict right now what's the future. I think uh, a lot of people like me, we were quite naive in the beginning of how power works and what people need to win. So we were very optimistic about things happening. And, you know, some people from all the positions, they knew already the regime better. So now it's, I think it's, it's, it's very painful situation that a lot of people are in prisons and they got huge sentences. And I think it's mostly it's most important work now to release these people somehow. But probably it's something like that broken cannot be unbroken. You know, so people, I constantly think about people who received five, seven years in prison for being in the street, you know, or for being a volunteer in an in election, for election candidate or something like this. Now, more or less, people who were active, I know they left the country, like from my friends. So I feel safer for them now. I don't know, it, it, it's difficult to say, like, it's, 
a lot of anxiety and basically I think I don't know what to say it's quite tragic but at the same time it's a huge community of Belarusians now abroad also like in Kiev in Belisi yeah in Warsaw in um, in many different <laughs> countries we were joking that like should uh, make an uh, I don't know rent an island and just where Belarusians can live <laughs> because make your own community yeah 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 so I don't know if the regime can survive that long I'm, I don't think so but I don't know it's it's very painful what 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 was done to civil society in Belarus what was done to NGOs journalists uh, artists just people what can people still do yeah I don't know like for me for example I'm you know I, I'm a bit tired to keep on educating or motivating and people kind of also in media they want a question are you afraid are you what do you think gonna happen like I'm tired of this question like I know this personally I can have a certain impact and uh, what now I want to do uh, for me personally it doesn't need to be like repeated because there are a lot of political prisoners and I want to keep a contact and try to establish contact with one with one of them because you know it's like we also like have this ideas of a big impact but if I think of a person who has a sentence of five years and hopefully you know nobody gonna go through it but you need to keep contact send letters every week so to to make sure that he or she will receive it at some point or maybe a few letters and then somebody is caring about this person so for me it's as a way to keep have a this human face because otherwise it's getting too depressive or too like you know much anxiety you cannot solve everything like but you can find there is a website politzek.me i guess where you can make a friend or get information with a, about the person and i wanted just to find somebody who is close to me like i also understand it's broad image how to help belarus but maybe you can help this person to go through this time somehow to become a friend and hopefully maybe visit this person after releasing or something like this. I mean, and other people can do in different ways, but I, I believe it's like a priority now because these people in prison, they have very bad conditions. It can be very depressive. Also for young people, we have students who are get sentenced. We got doctors, IT people, like basically anyone. So I believe it's something like a personal, more relatable. Uh, but of course, there are different foundations which help to relocate people, which, uh, and I guess like journalists can help in different way. And But I also believe people should find a way to help. I cannot teach them, like, it's easy, just <laughs> Google. <laughs> because I'm a bit tired, you know, to keep on like motivating people. I think if you want it, you can do it. <laughs> if you don't want it, don't do Very it. Very true. Yeah, yeah. And it's Definitely. responsibility because I just, because why I kept, actually, I didn't do it early. I think it's a commitment. Like you cannot just, it's not like a human rights internship or like I'm now I'm going to human right and I will do, send one pass card and never reply back or something like this. Like you need to educate what you can send, how you can write and what language. You need to find a way as a sense of card by yourself or like do it through Belarus. Like, you know, you need to educate yourself and being insistent in this way so it's like a responsibility because it's like you cannot take it and throw it away it's a person so i think it's it's needs some kind of moral responsibility to to keep on to, 
yeah. keep on and continue. Yeah. Yeah, on a hopeful ending, I would like to ask what's next for you. What's your plan now after graduation? And I hope you take some holiday. And now you're actually seeing your family, which is super nice. And yeah, if you can share something. Yeah, it's I'm having a short holiday. I wish I have more. <laughs> I'm starting a program in uh, September. So it will be like one-year program with a few institutions. They didn't announce it yet, so but uh, you will hear soon. It's great because I will have some support. So I can work as an artist for a year, at least, in Amsterdam. And I, I really want to spend time on research and, and actually say understanding a bit more the place where I live, Amsterdam, learning the language, finally. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to for intense Dutch course, uh, finger crossed. <laughs> Let's see how that works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I really want to understand. I want to speak the language. I want to. I want to read. I want to have time to read and a bit get, go a bit more in depth for filmmaking, which needs. Uh, I, w- I just want to read uh, literature, find a story I want to work on next. That's the plan, more or less. <laughs> Cool, looking forward to your new works. Thank you. And let's finish uh, the conversation um, with speaking uh, about food, since this is Kitchen Conversations and that's already a tradition. Yeah. So what's your favorite food from home? What are you making when you're (laughs) nostalgic about uh, your mom's kitchen? (laughs) I I have a tradition of making draniki all the time. It's like a sort of small pancakes from, from potato. I, I just made them yesterday, but I don't know, maybe I was not so successful, so my niece didn't eat it, and uh, <laughs> I had to eat it most by myself. Uh, no, but mostly I was successful. I traveled, I used to travel a lot before, so I kind of made it on different continents, and I was like spreading the vibes of uh, draniki and potato love. <laughs> Do you also cook I think we have this, yeah. It's called uh, Plaski Ziemniaczana. But I think you once made it for me, I remember, and it was very delicious. We ate it with uh, sour cream or like creme fraiche. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one. I I wish I I, I should learn borscht, I think. Because it's like sometimes I. From the beetroot, yeah. Yeah, 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 beetroot soup. And recently I ate uh, pilmeni. (laughs) Just I think Ah. we got it in a German shop, but. that's so fun. Yeah, here it's quite a popular dish, eh? yeah. just because there's a lot of Russians or like Russian-speaking people, yeah. especially like Berlin and East. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's quite uh, quite a dish here. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much uh, for sharing everything. It was a long conversation. I think I took quite a lot of your energy. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, uh, you can now go back to relaxing and being with your family and. I'm excited to see what you're gonna do for the next year. Yeah, thank, <laughs> thank you, you for so inviting. And this was it for today. Thank you for reaching till the end of this episode. I will see you next time with another great artist and speaker. And as mentioned at the beginning, you can support this podcast via Patreon 
on patreon.com slash kitchen conversations or alternatively you can also help me develop this platform by making a one-time donation following my instagram account or leaving a comment on one of the podcast players all of the needed links are placed in the show notes of this episode take good care until next time